Andy, great to see you. Um, thanks for taking time out this morning to talk to us. Not at all, thank you. Yeah. Um, I was just looking at uh, your website and um, there's so much there. I mean, it's just too much to even contemplate talking about. But just one little line caught my attention, and I'm sure you're asked this all the time, the Action Man voiceover. Can you just tell us a little uh, bit about that? Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. It's one of those little things that... It's, it's not a big deal, it wasn't a huge thing, but it's one of the highlights, I think, for me, because as a kid growing up, I had Action Man. That was the, pretty much the only toy I had was Action Man. Yeah, so the one, so Action Man was 50 a couple of years ago, and uh, the one show, the BBC One show, did uh, a special on Action Man, and they'd made this film using sort of stop animation where Action Man escapes into the real world and goes and investigates his origins, where it all started, visits the factory and all that sort of stuff, because it all started in the UK. Um, so they called me up and said, oh, we, um, we would like you to, to voice over Action Man. Well, actually, first of all, they phoned up and said, oh, we were doing this thing about Action Man. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'd love to present it. Oh, no, we don't want you to present it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, we've already made the film. Action Man presents it. We want you to be the voice of Action Man. And literally, I was like, yeah, I'm there. Uh, well, well, when you're free, whenever you want, no matter what I'm doing. And I think literally uh, the, the next day, because I, I live near Bristol, um, so it's about 45 minutes to Cardiff, and they made it in Cardiff. So literally, I was like, you know, where do you want me, Cardiff? Right, I can be there. I can be there tomorrow morning. And that was it. So we spent a day in the studio. Um, and yeah, and so there's a few people have said, um, well, you know, Action Man's not got a Scottish accent. And I was like, well, minded. <laughs> that's the whole point. But what were, what were you doing at the time to make them ask you? Well, I was doing the one show, so I was still, I've been presenting on the one ah. show since about 2014 or 13 I started the one show. I can't remember. And I'm kind of the one show's, you know, I do all the adventure stuff for them. So um, normally the one show, you've got like the history presenters, the wildlife presenters, the music presenters, current affairs, that sort of stuff. And I do this sort of adventure stuff. So it covers a range of topics because it might be abseil off a cliff to, you know, look at seabirds or it might be cave diving to look at archaeology. So um, there's a quote, Mark Baker once, once introduced me as, you know, our very own action man, Andy Torbett, is doing blah, 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 one of the films. And I think that's stuck in their minds. They said, well, you know, let's use our old presenter to do it because that kind of yeah. ties in. Anyway, um, I could some X-Forces as well. And they did actually, when they rung me up, so oh, did, did you ever have action men as a kid? And I was like, that's all. <laughs> I think most boys of, of that sort of, late 70s early 80s yeah yeah um, head action man you know so yeah it was cool it's one of those things so how did you get into into tv to start with so when i left the forces i thought that i would you know fall in the footsteps of like jacques cousteau and sir ronald fines and be like right i'm just gonna become an explorer and quickly realize that people will not pay you to go and do that sort of thing so um i but i did realize that you can it's, I mean, it's, it's changed a lot now with social media, but what I realized back then was that you can scrape a living, or at least part of a living, by communicating it. So I learned to write articles for like Dive and Diver, um, and 
uh, you know, doing taking folk, doing talks, trying to get a better sponsorship, not so much for money, but just for kits, because obviously if you keep your costs down, you can you can get away with earning less. And then I started doing safety work, um, like dive safety, climbing safety, that sort of thing, for people at the BBC Natural History Unit. So because I was living in Bristol, so doing a lot of like, you know, going out, making these wildlife films, riding like, this dive supervisor or whatever. And, um, and at the same time, for some of the talks I was giving, when I was doing trips, I was, I was filming them. And again, everyone films everything these days. But this was back in the day when you had a little handy cam. You know, so this is pre-GoPro even, um, and certainly pre-video cameras on your, on your phone. Um, and some of the trips I was doing, I was solo. It was solo cave diving projects or whatever. So I was self-filming. So I was kind of almost video darring it, uh, chatting to the camera myself because... Um, well, someone to talk to. I mean, at the bottom of a cave on your own can get a bit lonely and intimidating. It's it's quite nice just to turn the camera on and kind of chat with something. Um, so I was using these in talks just to kind of break up the talks, do little video clips, and then I cut some little videos to enter into film festivals. And then those two things sort of combined um, when a friend of mine was working on Coast. Uh, some people might remember there's a BBC series called Coast that ran for like 10, 11 years. And... They were on Series 7 and were fairly desperate for ideas. So I sent a lot of ideas to them saying, like, you know, if you want, I could take your presenter up this cliff or there's these deep shipwrecks. I could go and sort of film them and then bring it back and give that to the presenter or cave the cave dive and same in the sea caves or whatever. Um, and I went to meet the, the series editor and series producer and they literally started with, so would you be willing to present stuff if it wasn't extreme? And I was like, Okay, this is this is not the meeting I thought we were having. Um, so I was like, uh, yes, because obviously in that in that split second, you might start going what, but then you try and keep your game face on. I was like, oh, yes, of, of course I would. Um, and they sent me to cover shepherds in the Isle of Lewis. So that was my <laughs> after doing all this, like a cut show after doing all this like cave diving and free diving and climbing and skydiving stuff. My first bit of telly was um, was sheep on Lewis. So there we go. Fantastic! Wow, you, you just remind as you're talking. You're reminding me of so many, so many things. I mean, when I when I was out in the field and stuff, it was always with a a, a bolex or an arry or the thought yeah. of doing anything uh, to be able to show immediately was was just what it wasn't even dreamt about. It was amazing what we can do now. Yeah, it is. Wow. It's a. I mean, there's still merit. I've got. See, I still prefer the kind of slightly more involved more technical filmmaking like you know people have been asking me to make little films on things like instagram and youtube and that for years but just shooting kind of random stuff and throwing it together there's a, there's an art in that and some people are very very good at it it just doesn't kind of motivate me as much i'd rather spend a year and produce you know one really sort of beautiful film that I, I was part of it wasn't me that did it but i was part of a, a team that made a thing called dive odyssey um it was really yanni sahunan a finnish guy that made it but we spent we spent weeks filming this sort of 12 minutes kind of science fiction abstract space odyssey style diving film and it's you know it took a couple of years to make but it's absolutely beautiful and i was like that's that's more my thing but to be fair if we're doing things like that i always get proper cameramen in like i'm not a cameraman you know, I, I, if you give me an Alexa or a, even a, you know, Sony A7S, I mean, I can, a, a basics, yes, but I'm not, 
I'm not a proper cameraman. So, um, yeah, you need, you need need proper people for that. Yeah. Out of all the things, keeping on the diving side, uh, out of all the things that you, you've seen, um, done, is there, um, is there one thing in your time of life that um, you remember that makes you smile, you know, that, that's been really good to remember? There's been a few. I think, I think from the things that I do, so from a, a freediving point of view, freediving with Mako Sharks off the coast of California, for a, for a children's BBC series I did was pretty amazing because we're, we're sort of 20 miles but actually although we left California we're more off the Mexican coast about 20 miles offshore so you couldn't really see anything you're just you know a complete um, the, the horizon was just was limitless and uh, I was I saw I'd get seasick not all the time but sometimes I get seasick and we, we we went out there and we stopped the engines as you do and we we prepped for bobbing around for the next eight hours wait, hoping that a Mako would, would turn up and I was like, within ten minutes, I was like, "Oh God, I feel rough. This is going to be this is going to be torturous. This is purgatory." Um, and about twelve minutes in, a Mako shark turned up, and we're there with these biologists who also did shark trips, and they were like, "We have never ever in twenty years seen a Mako turn up that quickly." So we we two days planned to try and get this little bit of footage. Um, I jumped in the me and the cameraman jumped in the water after twelve minutes. Um, and again, we thought it'd be a bit skitty, but it might come, might go. It stayed for about two hours. Eventually, we got out of the water because it was still there. We were like, we, we, we physically can't film anymore. We've got every single possible shot from every angle. And we, um, we sort of drove off and left this make with shark. And the, the, the guys running the trip were like, we, we, we've never seen this happen. So that's pretty cool. And suddenly, we had a, a day spare. And then I think from a sort of tech diving point of view, the highlight has to be... Britannic, really. Um, for those who don't know, Britannic is the Titanic's twin sister. Um, she lies off the coast of Greece in the Aegean. And that game was for a BBC special on, on the sinking of, of Britannic when, in 1916 when she was being used as a hospital ship. But that is that is the sort of... Ah, thank you very much. Hi. <laughs> ah, now I'm really jealous. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that's uh, that's my wife, by the way. In case somebody's where people are watching, a random woman just walked in. Um, yeah, the, yeah. the although actually she's not. We've been together like sixteen and a half years. We're not actually married yet. We're meant to get married last year, but Bond got in the way. We're meant to get married this year, and COVID got in the way. So um, you know, hopefully twenty twenty one or maybe twenty twenty two. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> um, so back to Britannic then. Um, it's quite deep. It's 120 meters deep. Um, but the thing about it is it was discovered by Jacques Cousteau. And then since then there's been, you know, a bit of a who's who of, of wreck, world wreck diving of Dive Britannic. There's a real legacy of, of, of world-class divers who dived it. There's also the history of the ship itself. The fact that the twins of Titanic and what it was doing that that sort of lore of the wreck, but also the fact that it is just a spectacular wreck. If even it'd been in 10 meters, it wouldn't have mattered. It's 900 feet long and um, 100 feet sort of wide and deep because it's on its, on its side. And, and it's incredibly intact. Inc the, the, the artifacts you can see in the bridge and in, in the captain's cabin is phenomenal. Um, and what was extra special was we had 10 days to film this, and the weather was pretty bad uh, out in Key Island, where we launched from. 
And in fact, we had seven days to film it. And by day seven, we hadn't got the water. So the BBC said, okay, we'll, we'll give the budget to extend for three days. But if by day 10, you haven't got it, it's not happening. Sorry, come home. And on day, still didn't die. And the morning of day 10, it was looking iffy. So we sat above the wreck all morning, waiting for the winds to die down. And then in the afternoon, we finally got a chance to dive it. Uh, and what was extra special was, it was my 40th birthday, which I share with Jacques Cousteau. And we both born on the same day, not the same year, obviously. So yeah, Dive Britannic on my 40th birthday uh, was, was, was pretty cool. And then from a cave diving point of view, there's been a lot. I've done some pretty special trips, but I think the most unique was cave diving inside an ice cave in a glacier um, for Operation Iceberg back in, back in 2012. That was pretty cool. Stunning. Uh, some amazing memories. How, how long actually have you been diving? Well, God, I think I was snorkeling off the beaches of Aberdeen when I was about five. Um, clearly, far harder than I am. I wouldn't get them. I wouldn't get the North Sea in my pants <laughs> nowadays. I joined the Aberdeen Bees at Club when I was twelve, um, and uh, you couldn't dive back then until you were fourteen. You weren't allowed to. Um, so I joined as a snorkeling member, and I did snorkeling for a couple of years, which is a really good idea. I mean, it. it, it it's a good grounding for then learning scuba because you're just your confidence the water, your understanding of the physics and physiology, your finning technique is a lot better. What would happen when the club went out on shore dives, like places like Cove Bay or, or um, places around Aberdeen, that unless you're from Aberdeen, you wouldn't even recognise the names. But anyway, um, I'd, I'd go with them and I'd shore dive above them. Um, you know, and I, I got, I was getting, I was duck diving sort of ten meters by the time I was I was fourteen because I'd done so much so much kind of snorkeling. But it's quite handy because I had a paper round. It all paid for by a paper round because I became a club mascot because I just, this 12-year-old kid tipped up one day to the Beezer Club and said, I want to let her dive. Um, so I think people were fairly impressed and took me under their wings. So I used to get old bits of kits given to me. So my first wetsuit, it was a, a, a pair of long johns, which didn't fit that well, and a woman's jacket it didn't fit that well either. Clearly, it bulged in the wrong places because I was, you know, twelve year old. You, you stick thing. So um, I used to come out the water every single dive, blue lips, blue fingernails, and just a, a, a shivering wreck. As I say, I think if I, if I started diving today at my age under those conditions, I think I'd give up after about one dive. So clearly, <laughs> I was far harder as a kid than I am now. Yeah, I, I remember uh, with, with my dive training. Uh, with with uh, BSAC and we had to make our own wetsuits. Yeah. And I mean, literally, uh, after every dive, you'd have to remake it, you know, because the yeah. seams kept coming apart well, and stuff. Most of the guys in the club made their own wetsuits. Uh, right. Yes. Uh, um, and see, mine was all second hand stuff because we always, even the snorkeling, you have to wear an ABLJ. I've still got my old rubber, orange rubber Fenzy ABLJ. Um, I've got it hanging up in my kit store because it's, I mean, no, it's like an antique, isn't it? It's a piece, a piece of art now. Uh, and it still works. I mean, I've, I've, I've got rid of the old uh, crack bottle, but the rest of it actually still works. Um, the And I remember the first person to get a stab jacket, to get a buddy commando, because um, I remember there's a bit of a hoo-ha at the club that he might not be allowed to dive for the club using this 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 buddy commando, the stab jacket, because people thought it was dangerous. Oh, you know, you'll, 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 push your head face down, you'll drown. I mean, this was a much like any new piece of, sort of equipment of that in diving. Initially, there's always a, oh, it's the, it's the work of the devil. Whereas now, I mean, stab jackets are, or, you know, body commandos are 
basic bits of kit. I remember when Nitrox first came in, and that was the devil's gas, you know, let alone Trimix, but even just Nitrox was like, ah, you, it, it, you're suicidal if you breathe Nitrox, whereas nowadays we'll go in liverboards, and actually mm-hmm. the safest way to die for even the most basic of divers is to be diving Nitrox in those shallow depths. Um, yeah, a lot's changed. Mind you, a lot stayed the same. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I, I noticed um, uh, in your email, uh, you have two boys? Yes. You're teaching yeah. them to dive? How old are they? They're three and five. Ah, um, right. But I, but, but I am. We, we, got, we, got the, we got them in the pool last year. And they go in the sea all the time, but I actually got them in the pool with, with mask and snorkel last year. Um, and they, they absolutely... Loved it. I mean, they both love being just swimming in general. You could take them to a swimming pool and just leave them in the watery hours. They love being in the water. I think most kids do, to be fair. Yeah, but that's great. When you first put a mask on their face, just in a swimming pool, something as simple and, and, and to us, we think benign and probably quite boring as a swimming pool, but they can open their eyes and see underwater for the first time. Hmm. It absolutely blows their minds. And it can remind you, oh yeah, I forgot, you're right. It's, it's just a so we can take we kind of take for granted, but actually, for the vast majority of humans, human beings' existence, you know, they've never been able to see underwater. We've only managed that in the last hundred years or so. Um, in fact, two nights ago, uh, we, we got them in the bath, and they've both got marked. They've been snorkeling in the bath a lot this year for obvious reasons. Um, although they've been to, we've managed to get them to one swimming pool once this year. That's been it with the mass and snorkels. But uh, I'm hoping that next year, as things relax, we can, you know, get them in the sea proper. Yeah, uh, fingers just, crossed. The sea stuff. Or even just rock pools, to be honest. Yeah, um, rock pools are amazing to snorkel yeah. in for kids. I mean, absolutely yeah. stunning. And, and sometimes you get, you know, you get really big rock pools. You've just got a whole wealth of life. I've got a friend of mine down in, down in I've got, got up down at Cornwall quite a bit. I've got a friend of mine, uh, Tamsin, who's done a big thing about, she's trying to find all these, the best kind of, she does a lot of open water swimming, in, just in a bikini, which is pretty hard, uh, pretty nails, but she's also been trying to find all these sort of swimmable rock pools, as you say. And she's found loads of really big, deep ones around the coast of Cornwall. So I've been, um, I've been tapping up for locations to, uh, to go down there because, you know, it's like a little mini swimming pool. And, and if it's only three feet deep in, you know, six feet wide and six feet long well actually for a for a three or four year old that's perfect you know uh, absolutely i mean that's this cornwall's my home ground and um there oh i've done i've done so much in rock pools i'm the big ones as yeah. you're saying like like uh swimming pool size uh, and especially if you get the high tide coming in sometimes you get um uh, fish that don't usually belong in rock pools trapped in there uh, uh, or an octopus or something and that is so uh, exciting I've got a friend of mine, Dan Bolt, who is an underwater photographer, uh, and he's he's won a lot of prizes, a lot of competitions, um, by going to rock, especially when bar, like what these splashings they have, where they've you've got like a day to do your, your photographs, and everyone gets in the boats and heads out with the scuba kit on, and he'll be like, the weather's rubbish, the visitor's rubbish, and he'll just wander around a rock pool and get some am- absolutely amazing shots of of you know the, the life that's in there. Yeah, absolutely. 